0: As soon as someone mentions to you or that you think baby is colicky, that should be your sign to like text your neighbor and your mother-in-law and everyone that you can think of, anyone that would be willing to come help you in the wee hours of the night and say, Hey, I need help. Like I'm
1: struggling. Hi, I'm Shelly and I'm Maria and you're listening to the baby pro podcast where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Maria. Hey, Shelly. Morgan just got back from camp, right? She yeah, she got back on Friday night. How did it go? Good. I want to say it was a good trial run. There were definitely some things that could have been better. Mm-hmm. And she was definitely homesick. But there were parts of it she really enjoyed and and she is willing to like explore it again next summer. So not a complete waste. And definitely really enjoyed writing lessons and is interested in continuing that. So I'm excited for that.
3: Yay. Was she an easy baby or a difficult baby? And by difficult, I mean, you know, quote unquote, difficult. Yeah,
2: I know. She was 100% a dandelion. Like just good care less. <laughs> like whatever.
3: <laughs> yeah. Super chill.
2: Yeah. Very chill baby. Very, very rarely cried about anything. But she was also a really sleepy, baby. For mm-hmm. she was one of those babies that really, like, the first two weeks really needed to be encouraged to eat. Mm-hmm. But kind of once we got over that hump and got into a routine, she was just like, "Yeah, sure, whatever. Let's do it.
0: Easy, baby, bitch." Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> for sure, I'm pretty sure you know nature was trying to lull me into you know doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that time frame passed, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
3: I had um, two e- very easy Danny Lane kids, and then Hunter, my orchid, which I've talked about before, yeah, on the podcast, and how he just screamed all the time. And yeah. I really wish that I had the resource that we have this week on the episode because we are speaking with Megan Dishman, who is on Instagram as the Colic Nurse, nice. and she's talking to us all about colic, the c word. The other C word.
2: <laughs> My least favorite term in pediatric medicine. It just I, means My like, favorite diagnosis.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like every your baby time cries
2: I'm... and we don't know why. Go home and good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They cry a lot. Good job. We'll call it colic. Yeah. Best wishes to you and your family.
3: But before we speak with Megan, I was reading about this new type of c-sections that they are starting to do in Australia Hmm. and they are calling them maternal assisted c-sections and it's when the mom actually reaches down and lifts her baby out of this incision
2: I've Mm -hmm. heard of that before I've Mm -hmm. actually heard of mother assisted c-sections before I don't it's not completely new it's just not something we do here or we do it's very rare Yeah. I've heard of
3: family-centered C-sections where the drape is lowered or the drape is clear and blah, blah, blah. Like the dad can cut the umbilical cord or whatever.
2: Yep. I
3: hadn't heard yet of the mom actually lifting the baby out, but it says in the article that they have been doing it since 2017. It's just, this is the first time they're reporting on this. Yeah. I
2: guess so. Interesting very, very cool. I think that that definitely would not be for everybody, Mm -hmm. but if that were something you were, you would be open to, I think with C-sections in particular, I feel like it, it can be very disempowering, you know, a process that we're supposedly supposed to just do kind of gets taken away from us for whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. And I think being able to be more involved in that can kind of restore a little bit of that.
3: Yeah. And that's exactly what the doctor says in the article. He's saying that so far it's showing to improve the bonding between mothers and newborns, and that it is a powerful, autonomous act of the woman to participate in bringing her own baby out into the world, something that yeah. many C section moms feel like they didn't achieve.
2: Yeah, for sure. So,
3: a step in the right direction. <laughs> And let's move on to our question of the week. My favorite. Okay, this week's question is After you wean, how long does it take the milk to dry up? It has been three months since I've weaned and it's still there. I think we may have gotten a similar question
1: to this before.
2: Or we're well, talking not, about, we've definitely talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's so subjective. I think I've told you it took like a year for my milk to really dry up like Mm -hmm. a solid year. And even at that point, I think I was still like, I could still like express a few drops for a while after that. Yeah. It took a long time for my body to be like, I guess we're done. (laughs) (laughs) For me, it took about 18 months before I could stop.
3: Yeah. But I was also pregnant and breastfeeding for over seven years straight. Right, so I yeah. think my body was like, I've forgotten how to not not do this.
2: <laughs> yeah. I forgot what it's like not to be making all this stuff. Yeah. Before,
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: So totally normal
3: for you to still be able to squeeze out a small amount of milk three months after you wean. Yeah. And as long as it's not, you know, if you're squeezing out something that's like green or black or something, you want to go see your your primary care.
2: Or but. if you're having, like, breast pain or something like yeah.
3: that. Yep. But otherwise, it's totally normal. And it might stick around for a while. Mm-hmm.
2: Just consider it bonus. Our bodies are so weird. B- bonus metabolic activity. Yeah, our bodies are wild. Our yeah. bodies are just, like... <laughs> Yeah, we're going to grow a whole person and we're going to grow a whole organ to support that whole person. But it's mm-hmm. disposable, so don't worry about it. Yeah, it's disposable. <laughs> and then we're going to make food to actually keep that whole new human being alive mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then we're going to make you forget how hard it was that you yeah, be willing were willing to do know. it again. forget all about how painful it was, how stressful it was, all of those things. Oh, man.
3: Yeah, for sure. Science is so cool.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if you want us to
3: answer a question on the podcast, you can submit it to me on Instagram. I am at tapped IBCLC. And next up, we'll be speaking with Megan. This week, I'm so excited to have Megan Dishman on, and she's going to talk to us all about the ins and outs of colic. Megan is a Midwesterner, a gelato lover, and a dance in your kitchen to Whitney Houston kind of girl. She works at Children's Hospital on a cardiac care infant unit and graduated with her BSN in 2020. Since then, she's been working in the Salt Lake Valley as an ER nurse. She gave birth to her darling and very colicky baby girl in 2021 and quickly realized how isolating and exhausting the experience is. After seeing multiple pediatricians and feeling dissatisfied with the resources available for these struggling families, she decided to start The Colic Nurse on Instagram, a resource with tips, tricks, and updates on the latest research on infantile colic. She strongly believes that these parents need more support and education to get through the delirious sleep deprivation that comes with a colicky baby. She's currently working towards her board certification in lactation consulting, and her ebook, The Colic Handbook, will be coming at the end of 2023.
0: Hi, Megan. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much. How are you doing?
3: Good. I'm so glad you're here to talk about colic because I feel like that's such an important topic that I get a lot of questions about, and I experience myself as a parent, as a mom. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah, so I'm originally from Ohio. I grew up there, and then went out to school for nursing school. I've been in the ER RN nurse for the last few years, and then I have an almost two year old daughter who is keeping me very busy and on my toes. <laughs>
3: Two is such a funny age. I feel like it's my favorite age is like six months to like two and a half. I know they call it the terrible twos, but I never had the terrible twos. I always had the fearsome threes.
0: Oh, okay. That's good to know. I'll prep myself for that. (laughs) She's like climbing out of cribs and she is a wild child. So I'm just trying to keep up.
3: (laughs) She's got the leadership skills. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's what it is. (laughs) Now, did she have colic? Is that how you kind of started down this journey?
0: Yes. Yeah, so she was super colicky. And I don't think we realized at first that it was colic. I think we just thought we were bad at parenting. <laughs> we were like, oh, everyone else does this and is fine. It has multiple of these. <laughs> so before we would have our baby, I mean, I thought I was like, decently repaired. I had worked at a children's hospital. I had worked at a pediatric clinic.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: thought I knew what I was getting into. I was like, this is gonna be great. Like all the baby snuggles. I'm here for it. And then she came out, and like nothing we did (laughs) made it better.
3: You're like, why is my baby broken?
0: Yes, yeah, literally. And why am I so tired all the time? Like, Mm -hmm. is everyone else walking around this tired?
3: (laughs) And so that kind of started you down the path for your research into colic and decision to start your account and everything.
0: Yes, I literally remember sitting like nap trapped with my baby, and I'm so tired. Like all I want is a nap, but I'm holding my baby and I don't want to fall asleep with my baby in my arms. And, but I like literally remember looking through Instagram and searching, like, is there someone called the colic nurse? Because I could really use that right now. (laughs) And there was nothing, there were like zero resources. "Mm. there's nothing at all. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I literally, I texted my sister and she's like, you should start it. Like you can Mm. do it. I was Mm. like, okay, but I'm really tired right now. So once my baby was a little over one, then I was like, okay, I think I have energy to do this. I feel like colic
3: is like a general term that's thrown around. It's often interchanged with other words like reflux and stuff like that. And I I feel like a lot of parents that I work with don't really have a clear definition of what exactly colic is. So can you provide a clear definition of what colic is and how it differs from normal baby fussiness?
0: Yes. Yes. I think that's so important. There are so many misconceptions about colic. It's really such an umbrella term, even by pediatricians when they use it, but we have what's called Wessel's criteria. It was made in the 1950s and it basically defined colic by the rule of threes. So they're crying at least three three hours a day, at least three days a week for at least three weeks, which if you think of that as a definition, it's a really poor definition. Like there are a million things I can make a baby cry Mm -hmm. and make a baby cry more than normal. So For me, it's more of a symptom than a diagnosis. It's more of like, Hey, something's going on. We need to look into a hundred different things and rule them out before we just throw it under this blanket term. Your baby is super colicky Mm -hmm. for us. Our baby was really bad. It peaked around like six to 10 weeks. And for most babies, this fades by about four months old. And that's very normal. We don't know exactly why it happens, but we have some ideas but overall, it's just miserable <laughs> for parents in the meantime,
3: yeah. I remember my son, who was my third. He would scream from two a m to five a m. every morning for almost three months and then and then he finally outgrew it. but and I would talk to the pediatrician, and they were trying to rule. I feel like colic in my experience was we've ruled all these other common reasons why babies cry out. And so, colic is your baby cries and we don't know why go home and good luck yes that's Do you exactly feel
0: like that happens that way oh 100 mm-hmm. 100 and i mean it's that's really what the definition is too is is that it's in otherwise healthy babies so there's no like they're gaining weight well they you know there's no obvious allergy there's no like virus going on they don't have like a broken clavicle that you can blame it on mm-hmm. and for some reason these babies still just like howl Mm. and especially like with your situation especially in those witching hours toward the evening and late at night it just gets worse and worse and nothing you do like you try all the things you take the baby on a drive and put them in their car seat you try Mm -hmm. the bath you try (laughs) taking him outside you wrap them like nothing's working you fed them you changed their diaper like you've covered the basics and no matter what you do they still just cry and yeah very similarly the pediatrician's I had a couple of really good pediatricians, but even still they were like, yep, good luck. Sorry that you're suffering. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And it was really hard. And I feel like if I had had my son first, I don't know if I would have had more babies after that because it was so hard. And he would often wake up my second and she'd come sit on the bed and all three of us would just sit there and cry. <laughs> oh, it was so sometimes. sad. <laughs> <laughs> what is the difference between say, Like how would a parent tell this is reflux versus this is colic?
0: Great question. Colic is usually more, like I mentioned, in those witching hours in the evening. Reflux usually happens more with like you can pattern it after the feeds and see that, oh, it's usually after a feed. With reflux as well, usually have an episode. If they're laying back, they're more frustrated. With colic, they will cry. It doesn't matter what position they're in. Mm -hmm. So those were some of the ways to tell. There are things like silent reflex, as I'm sure you know, where it's not as obvious, but a lot of times with reflux, if you see them spit up, you can tell that they have a reaction to it. Whereas colicky babies are usually happy spitters, meaning that when they spit up, that's not what triggers it. That's not what's making them upset.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's the biggest, or at least that's the easiest way that I explain the families I work with, like reflux, for babies fussy throughout the day. Colic, it's just one time of day and then the rest of the day they're they're fine so it's like a Jekyll and Hyde situation with your baby where you're like okay what just happened to my baby because it's not the same baby I had throughout the day
0: yes absolutely I remember with our daughter she was like the morning was fine we get up we could read books we could play she would hang out on the floor like do her thing but then yeah as soon as like 3 p.m hit and rolled around we were (laughs) we just knew to brace ourselves
3: (laughs) Do they know what some of the potential causes or factors that contribute to colic in babies are?
0: Yeah. So we have a few theories. It kind of ranges from anything from like infant migraines to like babies not adjusting well outside the womb. But the most convincing to me that we have the most data on is called a gut dysbiosis, meaning when babies born, their gut microbiome is just forming and developing and like forming those colonies. And for some reason, babies with colic, their gut's just not very well developed. And so their digestion's really grumpy, which is why you can see with babies with colic, like they usually pull their knees up, they tense Mm -hmm. up, you know, their face turns red, they're clenching their fists. Sometimes they're arching their back, like they look uncomfortable. (laughs) And so a lot of people think it's due to their gut.
3: One of the things that I told myself, and I'm not saying that this is accurate at all (laughs) because i I was just telling this to myself to like get through that time. I, you know, I had a very stressful pregnancy and so I wasn't like blaming myself for anything, but I felt like, okay, so I exposed my babies to a lot of stress hormone when he was in the room and maybe he just needed to work that out. Is there any research or anything that shows that to be true at all?
0: There's nothing really obvious. Mm -hmm. There's like really random data we have on colic that like doesn't quite fit together. And one of those things is that women who do shift work, their babies are more likely to have colic, like they're more Mm -hmm. likely to have colic babies, which I have no idea how that, (laughs) how that fits in. But Mm -hmm. I definitely like when I read that as a mom who was an ER nurse while I was pregnant, I was thinking literally the same thing. I was like, I exposed my baby to too much adrenaline and cortisol when she was in the womb. And like, this is my fault that she's colicky. I think it's a very common feeling to have. The reality is, you can't predict it. Like, multiple women can have multiple pregnancies where one is randomly colicky and the others aren't. So, mm-hmm. I think it's important not to blame yourself first of all. Oh, sure. But yeah, there's no real data on like stress hormones causing it.
3: Mm-hmm. And I know we're getting more and more research about the importance of the gut microbiome in for lifelong health in general, not just for colic, but. If that seems to be the leading theory, are probiotics kind of an option that people are trying for colic?
0: Yes, this is actually one of the promising areas of research that we finally have something that works. So putting baby on probiotics something that contains the strain lactobacillus rooteri is one of the most well studies. So things like the Gerber suit or BioGaia are ones that contain it and that are pretty well studied. But if you have baby on that for 21 days, that significantly reduces the crying time for baby,
2: hmm. which
0: for me, 21 days sounds long, but if the option is to have the same amount of crying at the end of the 21 days <laughs> or having reduced crying, I'll take the reduced crying. So there's that if you get baby on a probiotic. And then as well, if in the last four weeks of pregnancy, you can get mom on a probiotic Hmm. and especially one that contains the same, the lactobacillus that actually reduces the likelihood that baby even has colic in the first place. Mm -hmm. So it kind of points us in the direction that mom's gut microbiome is really important during pregnancy as well. And that can help prevent that for baby. And then if you know, baby's already born and mom is breastfeeding. If you can get mom on a, a probiotic containing act regularis, so like Octavia, basically for 15 consecutive days, that also reduce praying time. So, all of those things are like, okay, so clearly it's pointing toward the gut microbiome. We don't understand why baby's gut microbiome is, you know, messy. But if we can do things that help it and boost it, it's really, it really makes a difference.
3: I, I just finished reading a book. I think it's called Your Infants it's about like a baby's microbiome. And it talks a lot about how each generation that's born, our gut microbiome is having less and less diversity Mm -hmm. because of the way that we sterilize everything now. And because of the food that we eat, and then of course the risk of C-sections, right. And people who get antibiotics doing labor and delivery, and then, and then have to have C-sections and thank goodness that we have C-sections and because they save lives and If you have a C section, you needed it, and that's great. But that does mean that your baby's gut microbiome was impacted because they weren't seated, as it happens with the vaginal birth. Have you read a lot about that as well?
0: Yeah, I actually, because intuitively you would think that babies who have C sections would have more colic, but we don't have any data showing that yet, which is really surprising, actually. Most babies, their gut microbiome, from the studies we have, and they're not perfect, but their gut microbiome, catches up by about 12 weeks to other babies just from their environment or from breastfeeding or things like that. So it's not like a, you know, if you have a C-section, your baby's going to have a colic.
2: Mm.
3: Right. It's just one of those things that, that it's like, okay, this was a risk factor and we just need to be aware that that risk factor is there. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, like C-sections can delay your milk coming in. It doesn't mean it is, but if you have a C-section, it's good to know that so that you can be on the lookout for that.
0: Right. And actively thinking ahead, okay, my gut, my baby's gut is a little impacted by this. Let's proactively try probiotics or maybe go on probiotics, things like that.
3: Right. Like in that last four weeks of pregnancy, like you said. Right. Yeah. That's great. That's great information to know. What age does colic typically start?
0: So usually it starts around two weeks old, peaks around six to eight weeks, and then results about four month mark. So It's really, once you're, once you're really good and tired at home, then it Mm -hmm.
1: kicks in.
3: (laughs) And do they have any research showing why the timing is that way and it's linked to the microbiome?
0: Actually, this is one of my theories on it too. Your gut microbiome really colonizes and develops really well around that four month mark. So everything's pointing to the gut microbiome jelly. Um, <laughs> I really do. That's when it really starts developing and kind of solidifying a little better. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's honestly a really good point that it might just be during that era where your gut's not developed yet.
3: And when babies do have a colic episode, is it typically just once a day, or there are some babies who have multiple episodes a day?
0: There are some babies that do have multiple a day. Like I said, it usually is more in that evening, things like that. So some babies will have an episode right before naps and things like that. Then if they get a good nap in some, it's sometimes it's a little bit of a reset and you can start over, but yeah, it's usually just kind of worsens and worsens toward that evening night and then resolves in the morning.
3: And do they have any research or any ideas of why it happens more commonly in the evening?
0: Nothing super solid. One of my theories is melatonin. So melatonin actually helps your gut relax and serotonin makes your gut contract and so in the evening babies tend to have especially through mom's milk they tend to have more melatonin in their systems so you would think it would be the other way around actually Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but babies don't produce their own melatonin they don't produce it cyclically like on a circadian rhythm like we do and so for babies who aren't getting much melatonin any other way they kind of just have more serotonin during the night because they're on opposite schedules of us, anyways. So maybe that's part of it, but I there's no really solid research showing why. And then as as a
3: professional and also as a parent, what did you feel like having a colicky baby affect your well being and affect your sleep patterns?
0: Oh my gosh, it made me crazy. <laughs> it made me so delirious. I think for one, it impacted my idea of motherhood. Because that was my first baby. That was my impression of motherhood was that I had a crying baby and I couldn't get my baby to stop crying. So I must be bad at being a mom. And so it was one, it made me feel like a a terrible mother. And then two, I mean, you're just so tired. Like for us, I probably got four hours of sleep most nights and then was trying to make that up during the day. And that was with my husband helping a ton. And I mean, you're just so deliriously tired that decision-making is really hard Coping with your baby crying is really hard. Like Mm. all of those things just become infinitely more difficult. And the desire to go out and see anyone is zero because you're so tired. And for us, she was born during respiratory season. And so we're trying to limit the people that are coming to your house because at the time we were really worried about COVID. And so you're just like isolated. You feel like a terrible mom. You have all the postpartum hormones. You're tired as could be. Like it is the perfect storm to try to make you have postpartum anxiety and depression. (laughs) So
3: Yeah. And I remember feeling, because my son was not my first and I had two very easy babies and I was very young when I had kids. And I remember thinking, why is everybody complaining? This isn't that hard. And then I had my son and I was like, oh, oh, now I know. Now I know why everyone's complaining. (laughs) But I remember just the feeling that the two feelings that would come up the most for me would be helplessness, right? Because your baby's just screaming and you can't do anything about it. You can't comfort them. You can't, like you said, like, as your baby's parent, you're supposed to be there and be able to comfort them and take care of them. And you feel like you can't do it. And then the other feeling that would come up would, sometimes I would feel like I was being personally rejected by my baby. Mm
0: -hmm. Like my
3: baby didn't like me. Which in hindsight, of course, it's like ridiculous. But when you're in that moment and you're sleep deprived and you're so like desperate for help, you just you think irrational thoughts, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, and you like see, you know, even in like the cute little storybooks that you get for your baby or in everything you read, like mom is supposed to be the magic fix. You know what I mean? Like being in mom's arms or, or breastfeeding with mom is supposed to be this magically comforting fix for baby. And when baby's like pushing away and screaming at you, you're like, Oh, like I am not a magical fix for you. And when you like Guantanamo Bay, they use the sound of crying babies as torture. Like this oh, for mom's brain. I know. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> like this in your brain, like it lights mom's cells on fire. It tells you like, hey, something's wrong with your baby. You need to intervene right now. And when everything you do to intervene doesn't solve it, like like you said, it leaves someone feeling totally helpful.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And there were definitely times that I had to put my baby in the crib where he was safe and just take a step back and go outside, take a few breaths, call someone to come and hold him for a little bit. And that, you know, that was really hard because it was always around in the middle of the night. But if you have someone, like I happen to have someone that I could call in the middle of the night and would come over and help me and not all people have that. But I feel like having that support system was the only thing that got me through.
0: Yes. Oh, absolutely. I feel like parents and moms, In general, feel like they have to do it all by themselves and feel like if I can't handle it, like I'm therefore a bad parent. And the reality is, if you have a colicky kid, like it should be all hands on deck. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. call in the troops, call in your support. As soon as someone mentions to you or that you think a baby is colicky, that should be your sign to like text your neighbor and your mother in law and everyone that you can think of, anyone that would be willing to come help you in the wee hours of the night and say, hey, Mm -hmm. I need help. Like I'm struggling. Either come during the day and let me have a nap or like come do a shift at night because you cannot do this by yourself. It's too Mm -hmm. much for one person to handle.
3: Right, right. And I teach that in my prenatal classes. I always say, you know, when you're setting up your support system, find your 2 a.m. person. Who can you call or ask to come over at 2 a.m.? who won't hang up on you when you're calling them at (laughs) 2am and who under, you know, preferably it's like someone else who had another kid. And so they get it and they, they know what you're going through, but it's so important. You know, most of us parents are good at setting up the other support systems pretty well, but we never think about that person that we're going to call in the middle of the night and everyone should have that person, whether it's family or friend.
0: Oh, 100%. I think that's a great idea. More postpartum prep. (laughs) Yes.
3: (laughs) What are some other strategies that parents can use to cope with the stress and exhaustion that comes with managing a colicky baby?
0: I think first and foremost, it's so important to get a break outside of the house. Mm -hmm. So even like having someone that can come to the house and be with you is awesome. But you also need to get out of the house at least an hour or two every week where you cannot hear the baby Mm -hmm. and where you like realize like, oh, there's a world outside of my nursery. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that's really important too, is therapy, (laughs) (laughs) therapy and support and everything like that, because it's not a normal motherhood experience. It's a really, a really traumatic one for a lot of women. And so having support where you can process through like my journey of matrescence looks so different than I thought is a really great idea. There are like postpartum support groups, even like Zoom meetings where it's like five postpartum moms get on and it's, I think that would be a really good idea to do
1: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) noise canceling headphones. I am an advocate for those because if you're going to be with a screaming baby anyways, for hours, like make it a less stressful experience for you. Play some beautiful calming classical music in your ears while you hold the screaming baby. You're there for your baby anyways, but you don't have to necessarily experience it at full volume. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) And then one of the things someone told us that I thought was really helpful was get a yoga ball and bounce your baby on a yoga ball instead With colic, you're pacing and you're running around your house all night. And I mean, if you're breastfeeding too, like your back just hurts all the time. And so for us getting a yoga ball that we we like hold baby on the yoga ball and bounce them, that was super helpful. (laughs) It made me feel like I was resting. I don't know, (laughs) but that was really helpful for us.
3: Yeah. And I did the exact same thing. My son would do a little better if I sat him facing out. Mm -hmm. with his back against my chest. And then I would just sit on the the ball and bounce literally for hours. I had like wads of steel back then (laughs) from all that bouncing on the ball. But it was one of the few things that helps a little bit. It didn't get him to calm down completely, but at least he wasn't doing. Sometimes my son would do that really high pitched screech that threatens Mm -hmm. to burst your eardrums. And at least he wouldn't get that escalated if I constantly bounced him.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So do
3: you know what the statistics are in terms of how many babies are reported to have colic? And has that increased or decreased over time?
0: We think it's about around 20% of babies. It hasn't changed a ton right now. And of course, statistics are always a few years behind. Mm -hmm. But as of right now, it's staying about the same. We do see some changes in those statistics depending on the country you're in. So like in England and Canada, those are actually the places where you're most prone to have a baby with colic and places like Denmark and Italy just have lower numbers. Do I know exactly why that is? No. I mean, you can speculate all you want, but generally speaking, if parents have more support, they tend to cope with it a lot better.
3: Yeah. And I wonder if it has to do with like diet in different cultures. And like you said, you could speculate, but if it is linked to microbiome of the mother too, what you eat matters, then-
0: Yeah. Oh, I absolutely wonder about that too. Mm -hmm. Like how much time is mom spending in the garden and outside, or is she spending time with pets? You know, is she eating a wide variety of fruits and vegetables Mm -hmm. and, and things like that, or dietary things, you know, things that have probiotics in them regularly, like yogurt and kimchi and things like that. So Mm -hmm. all good questions.
3: (laughs) Do you know, when was the earliest reference to colic? Like how long has colic been around that we know of?
0: I don't know when the earliest references, but basically, if you look throughout history, there are like natural remedies listed for forever about fussy babies. And could this be because of colic? Who knows? But basically, babies have been fussy for forever. (laughs) (laughs) And to put this in perspective, too normal babies cry around like two hours a day. That's pretty normal. But colicky babies are those three hours plus. So it's hard to differentiate when you're looking historically at it, what was just considered normal baby fastiness and what was really in this realm of colic.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. When should parents seek medical care or advice for their colic? Like if they suspect that their baby has colic? Like, are there red flags that parents should be looking for? You talked about the signs of colic, but there's, you know, like we said, you go to the pediatrician and they say, well, your baby has colic. Is there anything that they should be aware of where, okay, my baby has colic, but this is like not normal
0: colic? Yeah. So I think when if you have sus- like any suspicion that baby has colic go get seen so that you can rule out a lot of the other things. Some of the things we try to rule out that can cause colicky symptoms are like a calcium protein intolerance, reflux, like you mentioned, like watching for any other injury or disease. Obviously we want to keep an eye out for things like that. Oversupply can cause symptoms of colic. Tongue ties can kind of cause similar symptoms or underfeeding. Overfeeding can even cause it just because baby's gut is working a little harder than normal. So all of those things are things to watch for. I say, if baby has mucus in their stool. So it looks like someone sneezed into their diaper Mm -hmm. or blood in their stool. You need to go see a pediatrician pretty soon because those are signs of a more of an intense allergy or an intolerance. If baby is not gaining weight, well, those are signs that that's not normal colic that something else is going on. So maybe more like the reflux route or allergies as well. Or if you're just really concerned, like it's never a bad thing to go see a pediatrician and ask and just have them take a look at your baby. And for us, that meant pediatrician hopping a little bit too, Mm -hmm. where if I saw a pediatrician, they're like, well, good luck. We don't like, not my problem kind of a thing. I was like, okay, let me go see your colleague because... Maybe they have something better to say. And that worked well for us. Actually, the next pediatrician we saw was like, oh my gosh, let me give you some ideas. They recommended probiotics for us. They're the ones who told us about, you know, try the yoga ball or recommended, you know, try going off a of dairy, see if it does anything for these days and gave us a little better of a structure to watch for. Mm-hmm. So if you're finding your pediatrician is not being supportive of you at all, move on.
3: <laughs> yes, 100% agree with that. What are some of the
0: more unusual colic?
3: tricks that parents try that you've heard of or read about
0: yes so i mean i'm sure actually i wonder if a lot of people have heard of this or tried this but the car seat on the the drying machine or the the clothes washer just because then you don't have to drive around but you know baby has that similar motion. outdoor time even at night is really helpful which i know sounds exhausting and i whenever I did this, I was like, I'm so tired. I just want to go to bed. But putting baby in a wrap and walking outside was really helpful for us. There are some people who will try like natural remedies and things, you know, like the colic drops or ripe water, fennel seed oil, things like that. There's not a ton of data on it. A little bit like fennel has a little bit of data with it, but you want to do it carefully. Obviously Mm. don't feed your baby, you know, a gallon of fennel. So those are some of the things that people try that I'm aware of. I think Parents try everything (laughs) Mm. and they sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, or it will work for a week and then baby moves on to the next thing. So, yeah. And I
3: know there's a lot of like old wives' tales out there too. Have you heard any of those?
0: Not a ton. Mm -hmm. I've heard some things like you need to eat more eggs or random things like that, you know, but Mm. nothing that has a lot of data behind it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So, We touched on this a little bit, but when you do go see the pediatrician, what is the process that they go through for diagnosing colic? In my experience, it was eliminating all these other causes and then settling on colic because they had eliminated all the other causes. Is that what it typically looks like for people?
0: Yes. Yep. That's exactly what it looks like. So usually they'll do an assessment. They'll ask you questions about feeding and sleeping and things like that. Make sure that you're not just like missing feeding and sleeping cues and that it's not, you know, baby's hungry and overtired. Mm -hmm. They'll do an assessment and make sure that baby's belly's not super tender or they don't have a really, you know, gnarly diaper rash, things like that. But yeah, if baby looks totally normal and is well fed and doesn't have any other medical, obvious medical diagnosis, then yeah, they just throw it under this term of colic. Okay.
3: Do you know if colic has any long-term effects on a child's development or health?
0: So as far as like behavior and things like that, no. However, they actually did a study a couple of years ago that shows that babies who have colic are more likely to have chronic abdominal pain later in their life Mm -hmm. and develop like abdominal diagnoses, like irritable bowel syndrome, things like that. So it kind of points us to like, okay, these kids really do have a problem. Like it's not just, they're making this up and they're crying for no reason. They really do have something going on with their gut and with their bowels. So those are kind of the only things that we've seen so far. There's no difference in like how smart they are or if they're going to behave better or how happy they are, but it really all just points to the gut.
3: And things like those other bowel conditions that can come up later in life, do they also have a link to gut microbiome?
0: Oh, I think any gut diagnosis has a link to the gut microbiome for sure. Mm. One of the other interesting ones is that babies who have colic are more likely to have migraines as adults. which is one of the reasons why people theorize about it's infant migraines. But if you look into migraines, a lot of that could also be linked to the gut too. So it's hard to pinpoint it on one thing, but the gut, it's the gut (laughs) microbiome. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I know that we've talked about some things that parents can try. So we've talked about like the yoga ball and the probiotics and things like that. What are some other like, is there specific feeding techniques, positions, or changes that moms can make in their diet that will help alleviate colic symptoms other than like eliminating a food group to see if your baby is reacting to that?
0: Yeah. So there are definitely like avoiding overfeeding is one of the first things. So if you're noticing that baby is spitting up a ton with it, even if they're happy spitters or noticing like, green frothy stools, things like that. It's definitely something to indicate, go see an IBCLC, work with them, make sure you're not overfeeding baby. There actually is, and I always hesitate to share this, but there is some research showing that if moms do like an allergy elimination diet, it significantly significantly reduces symptoms of colic. However, this is never something I would recommend parents to just like do on their own and like hack mm-hmm. their diet in half. But it's just something to keep in mind as you're watching baby symptoms. Like, are they having you know, those mucousy stools and things that you need to watch for, for more of the allergy side of things. And that's just something to keep in mind.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know what it's like in your area, but in my area, it's almost like the latest fad. Every time a family goes to the pediatrician and says, oh, my baby cries a lot. They're like, oh, just take dairy out of your diet and send them home with no guidance on how to do that or protect their nutrition when they're eliminating this entire food group. Or they give it misinformation too. Like, oh, it's going to take like six to eight weeks for the dairy to get out of your milk, which just isn't true. So we have a lot of these parents who are going on these really strict diet elimination and it's it's not the cause of why their baby is fussy or it just doesn't help, but they feel like they have to keep doing it because they were told to do it by the pediatrician and their health and their mental health is being impacted too. Do you feel like that happens in your area?
0: Oh, 100%. Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone and their dog is going off of dairy when they're breastfeeding right now. And we were told to do that too. That's something we tried because- We were willing to try anything, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? But it didn't solve the problem for us. And really at the end of the day, now I was sad and tired and I couldn't have ice cream. So it didn't, it didn't solve the problem for us. It's Mm -hmm. definitely something to look into. But again, if you're not seeing those symptoms in their stool, then it isn't something I would worry about. Cow's milk protein intolerance is only prevalent in about they think maybe 2% of babies. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you know, we have 20% of babies that are colicky. Most of them are not not impacted by dairy at all.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And dairy elimination is not some easy thing. It's not just like, oh, you just don't drink milk or eat cheese. Like dairy is in a lot of things, bread, things where you would not expect dairy to be.
0: Yes. Yep. And a lot of babies who have this calcium protein intolerance, they're sensitive to it even being on the ingredient list. So it is a full, like a full elimination if you do it. And again, I would never do that without the advice of your pediatrician or even a pediatric GI specialist. Mm -hmm. It's something that if you're going to do it, you don't just like go off of it and see how it goes. Like, You go off of it, you track baby's schedule, you track when baby's having these episodes. And then a month later, they actually want you to do a trial where you try to reintroduce it. And that doesn't look like mom eats a bunch of ice cream and then Mm -hmm. tries to breastfeed because now it's in your breast milk for weeks. But instead, like you pull some frozen milk from the freezer and introduce that to baby and see if those symptoms are really still caused by it Mm -hmm. or if it was something else and it would have faded by itself anyways.
3: Mm -hmm. Great. Okay, so we we both know, I'm sure, that the internet is a jungle when it comes to <laughs> evidence-based information and the stuff that you will find out there telling parents to do to relieve their baby's colic is a little nuts. So we have your accounts, your Instagram account, of course, but what are some other resources that parents can turn to for reliable information and support when dealing with a colicky baby where they can expect to get accurate evidence-based information?
0: Yes. I really like the website called purple crying. It talks about like these episodes of crying and, and goes into that. And I think it's a great resource for parents to realize like, this is a temporary thing. Here are some things I can try. Obviously things like Cleveland clinic and Mayo clinic are really good resources to look at. I also really like Seattle children's website. They have like every condition you could think of in pediatrics and they do a really good job Generally speaking, if a website is trying to sell you some magical product that's going to cure colic, like they're trying to sell you a magical sound machine or a magical swaddle, like they're not a reliable resource for colic because colic is not caused by swaddles <laughs> or, or, or resolved <laughs> by swaddles. It's in your gut.
2: Hmm. So
0: that's just an important thing to think of. As far as just like postpartum help in general, I really like Carrie Loker. She does some great accounts, just information about postpartum in general. And then yeah, just making sure that you're using websites that are reputable and not trying to push a product on you.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. Is there a genetic component to colic? Have they shown that in research at all?
0: Oh, not really. Which you'd think there would be a little bit. Like maybe you're more genetically prone to having certain, you know, a certain gut colony. But no, they haven't shown any research for that yet.
3: That's interesting because I would think that there would be, like you said, some link within our <laughs> genetics.
0: Yeah. And some of that I'm sure is just, we haven't done enough studies to show anything yet. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of our studies are pushed through companies that are developing a product who are developing a probiotic or, or things like that. So that's really where all of our studies come from.
3: Hmm. So in terms of prevention, we talked about having parents, the pregnant parent take probiotics in the last four weeks of pregnancy putting the baby on probiotics. Is there any other things parents can
0: do to prevent colic from developing in their infant? As far as studies go, no, there's nothing Mm -hmm. that's showing besides those things we talked about that you can do anything to prevent colic. For me who had a baby with colic and maybe one day would want to be pregnant again, still trying to decide, (laughs) but it's something where I'm like, okay, during pregnancy, my diet needs to look like very different than it did when I was pregnant the last time. Like I don't need to just eat ice cream and chicken nuggets, which is hard to do when you're pregnant and you know, you don't feel good and you're nauseous all the time, but definitely making sure as far as my diet goes as a pregnant mom to include some more things that help make my gut microbiome more diverse so that I could pass that along to my baby. Mm -hmm.
3: What about like fermented foods during pregnancy? Is that like a good idea? Yeah, you totally can do
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. Things like the kefir or kimchi or like yogurts and things like that, all totally fine.
3: Are there any lifestyle factors or environmental changes that could help reduce the likelihood of, I mean, other than the diet and nutrition, anything else that they could do in terms of their environment or lifestyle?
0: Yeah. So this is a big one for everything, but, and we know it plays a role in everything, but stopping smoking or stopping being around people who smoke. We know that babies who are exposed to smoke are, are prone to a million you know, health concerns. And one of those is colic too. Mm-hmm. So not being around smoking. People who had a really good support partner during pregnancy are also less likely to have babies with colic. And some of that may just be like an error due to reporting. Like if you felt more supported, you didn't report it to your pediatrician. But that's definitely something to keep in mind is like when you're pregnant, do I have someone with me that's gonna be able to support me after I have this baby? And if not, how can I build a community of people that will help me postpartum?
3: Have you seen any research that links
0: caffeine intake to colic? I haven't. I haven't seen anything on that yet.
3: Because I know there's some research showing it can make reflux worse, but again, reflux and colic are not not the same thing.
0: I mean, I don't think it's necessarily like if your baby's up crying all night anyways, I don't think adding caffeine would be the solution. <laughs> I think it would be a good thing to pull out. But yeah, we don't have any like really straightforward research on it, showing that it causes or or impacts colic. Okay.
3: And have you, and maybe this is like your own personal story or a family that you worked with. Can you share some success stories of parents who have effectively managed colic in their babies and how they did it?
0: Yeah. So for us, at least what ended up one, it just takes time. So for us, when we found out our baby was colicky, and we were trying all of these things, we went off dairy, we tried the probiotics, I took every course in the world on baby sleep and things like that, you know, taking care of babies and sleep dairy and all of the things like that. And at the end of the day, the thing that ended up working was time mm-hmm. and support. And so you can throw all of these things, these interventions in there and for sure, get your baby on probiotics and try those things so that you can reduce the crime time. But th- at the end of the day, what you need is support more than anything for myself. When our baby was super colicky, the best thing that I could do was I finally reached out to help. I like had an appointment with my nurse midwife and bawled my acts out. And I was mm-hmm. like, I can't do this for like three more hours. Like, I feel like I'm going to die. And they were like, they were the sweetest ladies ever. They were like, oh my gosh, join this therapy group. Like, let's help you. For me, I had really bad postpartum anxiety with it, understandably so. And they're like, let's get you on medications. Like, you don't need to be suffering the way that you are. And they recommended a lot of things that just like gave me support to not spend 24 seven with this screaming baby. Mm -hmm. So like for us going to the gym and doing gym kid care was really helpful. Having my mother-in-law watch our baby, all of those things are really important. There's not some magic wand solution that I can say is going to cure your baby of colic, but I love to give parent resources and education so that they know what to watch for, what they can try and to know like, you're not alone in this and you, you're supposed to get help during this time.
3: I love that. And I found the support groups to be really helpful too. And I remember one time going to a support group and the woman next to me, it was a two hour long support group and her baby screamed the whole time. And I felt so bad for her, but at the same time, I felt so much better because I was like, I'm not the only one going through this. So it just kind of validated that for me. I will also say that putting my baby in the car and driving around at 2 a.m. ended up drastically reducing the crying time a little bit closer to the end. So maybe instead of screaming for three hours, he only screamed for like 45 minutes to an hour, which to me was a win. But I was, you know, the crazy lady driving around the neighborhood at 2 a.m.
0: I mean, if it works, it works. I
3: know. (laughs) And then the other thing that ended up working really well was Eminem. If I played Eminem music, (laughs) he would stop crying. (laughs) Oh, my God. I I just remember thinking, like, playing it for him and thinking, I am ruining my baby.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's yeah, not it's Mozart, worse. but if, same thing. If it works, it works. Okay. It works. Like you're desperate. Eminem is the solution to our problems. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know,
3: you can find that one thing that really works. And it might be something weird, but we don't second guess it, right? If it works, we're just there you like, know. Okay.
0: I know. I felt like that was all the time. Like if she finally fell asleep, I was like, okay, okay, like. How many clicks up? Like, what volume was the sound machine at? We were nice. wearing these jammies. Like, I put her to bed at this specific week window. It was like, you know, 49 yeah, well, yeah You just like dry everything. So, oh, I should have added Eminem to my list. I didn't know that trick, Shelly.
3: <laughs> now you can put it on your website, I Eminem. Mean, yeah. <laughs> only his early works
1: because he was yeah. like 13 years yeah. old. <laughs> And
3: it's hard. And I think I think it's really important for parents to know, like you said, that they're not alone and you may not be able to change the way your baby behaves and stop your baby from crying. But like you said, if you feel supported, if you're taking care of yourself in all the other ways, you'll be able to handle that crying much better than if you're not.
0: Oh, 100%. And one of the things I always love to recommend to parents is something called crisis nurseries. So, in a lot of states in the United States, they have something called crisis nurseries where they're just like free childcare for a few hours every week. Mm-hmm. Where if you are like at the end of your rope and you just cannot do it for a minute longer, or if you, you know, you have a work conflict or, you know, a doctor's appointment you need to go to, or you have a job interview, they're a great resource. You go, you drop off your baby for a few hours and it's run by the government. So it's people who've had background checks and they just understand that like parents can't do it all by themselves. And sometimes you cannot handle a screaming baby for 10 more minutes. Love that. And instead of getting upset at your baby, like, and suffering at home, I'm taking them to a safe place and go, go eat a smoothie in your car instead mm-hmm. and go be go by your Starbucks. Staff. Yeah, exactly. Drive away for a little bit and then come back when you're ready to handle it a little more. Mm -hmm. But that is such a great resource because I remember in those moments feeling like there's nothing I can do. I'm stuck doing this for the next 100 million hours. Mm -hmm. I'm so tired and I literally feel like I can't do it anymore, but I have to. Right. And so having that resource in the back of your mind, like if I am hitting the end of my rope, there is an option. There's something I can try right now. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. And I do remember kind of getting, when I was experiencing my son's colic, you kind of get stuck in tunnel vision where you start Mm -hmm. to picture that, oh, this is going to be the rest of my life. And you can't think beyond your current situation, which in some ways, like, yeah, you're taking it one minute at a time, one day at a time, but you get kind of stuck into feeling like I'm going to have to do this forever. And it helps to like talk to other families whose babies have already outgrown it. So they can see, no, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There are no college kids who are screaming. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe during finals week, <laughs> they're crying for hours a day, but you know, there's no college kids who are walking around with colic. And I remember what something else that really helped me was during the day, cause I would be so sleep deprived and I would just want to, I would just need like a mental break. We belong to the Y and they had that mm. two hour you know, they'd watch your kids while you worked out for a couple hours. I would put on all my workout clothes, take my kids to the Y, check them into the child watch. And then I'd go to the locker room and read a book for a couple hours.
0: Yes, yes. I I did like almost the same thing, Shelly. I'd like go sit on yoga mat on my phone and be like, this is working out. (laughs) Like
3: I'm not working out right now. I was up for three hours.
0: (laughs) But I will read a book in the locker room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you need the break. You really do.
3: Mm -hmm. So some creative ways. And if you do have a friend who gets it, you know, when your baby is crying a lot, you do want to leave them in the hands of someone who can handle that appropriately. But once you find that person, like take advantage of them, (laughs) like definitely do that.
0: 100%. 100%.
3: What is some final advice that you would want to give to parents who are currently dealing with a colic infant or, you know, the top thing that you would want parents to know?
0: I think that it, like you said, that it ends for us. Mm-hmm. Our, I mean, our daughter is happy as can be now. She is so fun. Like motherhood is an enjoyable experience for me now. We have come so far. She sleeps normal. She sleeps through the night. She takes to our naps during the day. Like colic is not going to define your baby forever. And it's not going to define your motherhood experience forever. For me, I think that I felt like such a bad mom during this stage, but I came to this realization that, like, you know what? There are other stages of motherhood where I am going to thrive. Like, I'm going to be an amazing craft mom and an outdoor mom. And these three to four months of colic are just not it for me. But that doesn't mean that motherhood is not it for me. So I think that was really important to realize for me and to realize that my relationship with my baby was one day going to be totally different. And it would be defined by those snuggles and happy Mm -hmm. moments and giggling and you know, playfulness. And obviously there's still temper tantrums in there. Like she's still a kid, but it is so much more manageable. And I don't have to let that colicky experience define my motherhood journey.
3: I love that. 100% agree. And that was my experience as well. My son is older. He's 13 now, but once he grew out of his colic, he was like, my easiest baby. So calm and chill. And even to this day, like he doesn't have a mean bone in his body. He's so sweet and kind. So I was probably most worried about him out of all my babies. Like, oh, is this kid going to be a jerk when he's a teenager? (laughs)
0: He's really high maintenance. (laughs) (laughs) I feel
3: like he got it all out of his system when he was a baby. So we're good now.
0: (laughs) Right. They'll make up for it. They will. And that's so hard to hear when you're in the moment. Like, like you said, you get that tunnel vision. That's all you see, Mm -hmm. but it really does end. Like it really is temporary. So while you're going through it, just, you know, bring all that support system close to you and get through it until you get out the other side and everything's wonderful.
3: Love it. Where can parents find you if they want to connect with you and learn more about you?
0: So I'm on Instagram at the Colic Nurse. You are welcome to message me there if you have any questions or want to share your story with me. I would love to hear your colic story. Sometimes we all just need validation. So you're welcome to see me over there. And I I hope to hear from some of your some of your listeners.
3: Thank you so much, Megan, for jumping on and talking to us about this topic today. It's been great. It's nice to know that there are accounts like yours who are staying on top of that research and sharing it with families because as you know, a lot of families aren't getting those resources even through their pediatricians. Their pediatricians may not be up to date on that research. So it's really fascinating to hear you share those facts that you have discovered about the gut microbiome and, and all those things, taking the probiotics in the last four weeks of pregnancy. That's stuff that I didn't know. So I'm definitely going to be writing that down and sharing it with the families that I work with as well. So thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Shelley. It's a pleasure and it was nice to talk to you.
1: Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out more options for support through Pregnancy and Beyond, including the Baby Pro Group, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at IBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for
2: listening.